Welcome to Let's Talk Sales. This is the podcast for anyone who's interested in growing sales. Today's episode of Let's Talk Sales is brought to you by our ebook on personal development, navigating your way to prosperity in life, business, and sales. In it, you'll discover how to create your own best self-action plan, how behavioral assessments can help, and more. Make sure to download a copy today. You can find it in the notes for today's show at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod 306. This is Elizabeth Frederick, and I'm really excited to introduce you to today's guest. A little bit off the beaten path for uh, Let's Talk Sales, but it should be a good one. So he started his career as a writer and a performer for College Humor, and he became pretty well known for the web series Jake and Amir, which he produced with his comedy partner, Amir Blumenfeld. He and Amir also co-host the advice podcast, If I Were You, and he hosts a number of other podcasts as well. And he co-founded HeadGub, a comedy podcast network. He is based in Brooklyn, New York. Welcome to the show, Jake Hurwitz. Hi, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm so glad that we could have you on the show. Um, yes, I just shared kind of the top level bullets from your Wikipedia page, basically. But I'd <laughs> love it if you could introduce yourself to our listeners and maybe tell them a little bit about the journey to where you are today. Sure thing. Yeah, um, this is it's off the beaten path for me, this podcast as well. So I'll do my best. Um, <laughs> the, you know, the Wikipedia page pretty much nails it. Uh, I started my career uh, writing at College Humor. Um, and at some point in that first year or two, um, we started, Amir and I started making videos kind of just for fun as a side, uh, a side project at College Humor and College Humor eventually absorbed those videos onto the website. Um, and then from there, it's just been Amir and I working together on, uh, on everything that's, that's grown from those videos, which eventually led to our podcast, which eventually led to us starting the podcast network HeadGum. Nice. It's always funny when you um, when you meet somebody and you just have that professional connection and you're able to work on different things together and and really kind of take a journey along with somebody. It's um, it's good to have a partner by your side for things like that. Yeah, and what I've seen, I, I didn't know it at the time, but looking back, what I've realized is that it's very special too. I, I don't. Mm-hmm. I, it's rare to find someone who's who's kind of like comedic sense. And uh, we're like a a great comedic match, but then we're a great temperament match as well. So we've just never really, you know, we've, we've never had those like terrible fights that I hear uh, partners have all the time. Um, I I found my comedy soulmate is what I did. (laughs) It's funny because I talk to a lot of co-founders on the business sense, and certainly they're not exactly thinking about their comedy stylings working together, (laughs) but um, thinking about, you know, skill sets matching and being able to complement each other and certainly temperament and personality. And you're right. There's so many times where you might have somebody who works well for you at a certain stage in your career, at a certain stage of developing a company, and then friction kind of develops as, Mm -hmm. as time goes by and you realize you're maybe not as good for each other anymore. So really great that you guys were able to find each other. (laughs) It's true. We're lucky. All right. Well, Something that I just thought was really interesting, and one of the reasons that we wanted to have you on the show is you've made a lot of really big moves throughout your career. Um, Certainly some aspects of it go in a pretty straight line, but Mm -hmm. other things, you kind of took some left turns and were able to make some big moves. What have you learned throughout that process about um, both that initial moment of getting out of your comfort zone and how you can be comfortable in those initial stages um, when you've made a big change like that? Yeah, man, that's a great question. I think 
you know, early on, I I just adopted the mentality, or maybe I had it already, that mm-hmm. I just, I like saying yes to things. I especially mm-hmm. like saying yes to things that feel like a hard left turn for for this path that Amir and I are on. Um, so I, I don't I don't like to turn down an opportunity. I like to say yes. But I think the thing that I've learned is that um, saying yes and figuring something out as you go, you know, building the track in front of you is my preferred way to work, but it doesn't work unless you've said yes to the right people. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't do anything by myself. I, I like to be collaborative, part of a team. Um, and I say yes to people. And then usually if it's, if it's a hardworking team, if they're the right people, and if we get along, um, then it feels like that project works out. But I've said yes to plenty of things that eventually die on the vine. Definitely. And so would you say in those situations, it's almost always been that it was the wrong people kind of put together for the team um, that kind of caused it not to work out? Yeah, I think so. I think, I think, you know, if, if not the right, if, if not the right people, it could be the right people, but the wrong team. I don't know if that mm-hmm. makes sense, but you know, people that with other teams could be, could be great. You know, it's not like we had just a bunch of duds all the time. Um, but I think that, that working with people that have complementing skill sets, you know, like you said, um, is really important. So if you have somebody that's not going to help you carry the ball over the finish line, um, it's, it's tough to get those projects started. Definitely. Um, so what is the, how do you evaluate an opportunity, um, when somebody brings it to you? If, you know, you have that inclination to say yes, but you also, it sounds like have learned some lessons in the past that it doesn't always work out. Um, what are some of the factors that you would look at when you're evaluating whether it might make sense to, um, to take a, a leap into a new opportunity? I think as we've gone as we've gone farther along, um, our t- our time and our bandwidth has gotten less and less. So mm-hmm. it's it's harder to say yes to things. But if the conditions are right, if the conditions are you know like oh we'll do a little work up top and then um, somebody else is going to jump in and then me and Amir can uh, jump in at, at the tail end to promote and try to grow something, that's an easier yes for us than hunkering down and and writing or. Uh, you know, doing, doing something where a lot of the onus is on Amir and I. Um, so I think that we, we kind of just evaluate based on how much, how much time it's going to be, but, and also how, how much it's going to take our eye off the ball, um, for kind Mm -hmm. of like our main, our main thing. So for the last year building headgum or last, geez, it's been five years, um, (laughs) for the last couple of years, headgum has been our, our main focus. And, you know, writing something on spec or joining a writer's room somewhere, which was the traditional path for two writers from College Humor, that wasn't going to work out for us because writing for a sitcom, you have to sit mm-hmm. in a writer's room from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Um, and that's the time that Amir and I are taking podcast meetings and helping people uh, make podcasts. So so we weren't able to do things like that. We said no to projects like that that came up. That's a really great point. And I think that's something um, that you have to really strike a balance, right? You you have a natural inclination to probably, um, you like the shiny new thing, mm-hmm. and yeah. you've had a lot of success in branching out, but to really really hone in on, hey, this is my priority. And I'm going to evaluate a new opportunity against, does this help maybe build 
and, and um, you know, create even more opportunities for my main priority? Or is it going to pull me in the different direction? Um, that's a mm-hmm. great factor to, to keep in mind. And I think um, some of us, uh, some people haven't necessarily thought about what is that main focus that you have. They maybe have a lot of different things that they're working on, all of them equally weighted. And yeah. so to really take into account, is there one that you want to emphasize um, might be a key step to consider. Yeah. Is there one that you want to emphasize and is there one, or are there at least a couple that are related to each other? Does one mm-hmm. support another priority? It could be a lower priority, but it's if it's related in the right way, that's something that you can engage in also. And I, then I think the ones that are low priority and unrelated, those are taking your eye off the ball. Absolutely. Now, I would imagine that some of the opportunities that you've pursued have been kind of your idea or you and Amir came up with them together and others are brought to you by other people. Is there a different process that you have for evaluating um, whether you're going to follow up on those opportunities if you source them yourself or if they were brought to you? I think for us, it's always been it it really needs to come from us for mm-hmm. us to feel invested. We've been approached by by people to you know like uh, take their script and and try to or try to write a TV show for somebody else's idea or try mm-hmm. to make a podcast for someone else's pitch and it for us it it's it's not exciting it's not fun and also I think we're bad at it so it's really bad for everybody <laughs> um, we I I think Amir and I um, for better or worse we need to feel invested in. Um, the creative aspect of whatever we're making. We can't just feel like we're being tasked with executing somebody else's creative vision. That makes a lot of sense. And again, um, it's probably more apparent when it comes to a really creative field like comedy writing. But I Mm -hmm. think for anyone who's an entrepreneur, who's a founder, if you don't have that real connection to it, if you don't have that real passion, it might be a great opportunity, but it's probably not a great opportunity for you. And I've seen in so many sales teams where you have some salespeople who really believe in what it is that they're selling. Mm-hmm. They think that it solves problems for people. It makes sense. It's something people need. And they find it really easy to do their jobs. And then you have other people who kind of get it, but but they don't really feel it inside Mm -hmm. of them. And it's a lot harder for them to be successful in that case. And so I think it's a, it's a key principle of just, do you really connect to what it is that you're doing? And, um, do you have a passion for it? And, um, so often you try to kind of fit yourself into an opportunity that you don't really feel. And it's always an awkward fit. Um, Definitely. Yeah. It's hard to fake passion. You really, you can't do it or you, if you can do it, you can't do it for that long. Yes. Um, But what's interesting, too, is that sometimes you can discover a passion that you didn't know you had. And I would imagine that there have been probably times where you were able to do that, where somebody else um, brought something in as an idea and you discovered something, whether it was exactly what they were picturing, probably not not likely, but, you know, a version of it or something different where you were able to kind of make it your own. Yeah. You know, I think that happened. We had... We did a a series. I shouldn't say wh- who it was for because uh, I'm going to talk uh, some trash about it. But <laughs> we d- we did a series for somebody that was not. Um, it wasn't close to us personally, the creative, um, mm-hmm. and we weren't super excited about it. But when we got on set, we made a relationship with the director, the DP, the costume designer, the production designer, and you start to care about the people. 
Um, and then that makes you more passionate about the project. So I think there is, if you can't fake your passion, you can turn something over and over until you, until you can find a way to be passionate about it, some different way to care. Um, and then you can activate on that caring. If you, even if you didn't, uh, give a crap at, at the onset. <laughs> definitely. Definitely. And again, you know, in, in all situations, I think we've all been in cases where, um, maybe there is a, a direction our company was going in and we weren't a hundred percent sure we didn't necessarily buy in or we had some concerns. Mm-hmm. And so to figure out, maybe take a, a period of time to evaluate, can you find a way to connect to that? Can you um, figure out if it works for you? And if not, that might be time to make a make a bit of a left turn and to find a new opportunity. Um, but uh, I think that's, that's a principle that a lot of us can really think about um, when it comes mm-hmm. to our careers. Yeah. Something that I hear from a lot of people, um, and, and over the years, you know, it's, it's always been a theme, but especially now is, um, I'm a leader. I'm successful where I am. I'm, I'm happy kind of in my current role, <laughs> but I have an idea. I have something I'm passionate about and I'm interested in. And I wonder if it's time to venture out or somebody came to me with a great idea and it's kind of exciting and it's interesting. And I wonder if I should um, venture out. So I know your natural inclination is to say yes, but what are some of the, um, do you have any advice for people when they're considering making big changes like that? I think this, I did go through this a little bit when we were, when we were working at college humor, Um, Amir and I had been writing and making our own videos there for almost a decade. And we were always, thinking about maybe making the leap and leaving college humor, but it was, Mm -hmm. it was such a comfortable place to be. We had salaries, we had health insurance. Um, Mm -hmm. and you know, we, we didn't want to just like abandon ship. We were, we were constantly waiting until the, the other ship was basically touching our boat. And then we just wanted to (laughs) step over the dock onto the next thing. But I think that the, it's, it's very, very rare for the conditions to be perfect. Um, and if Mm -hmm. you're waiting for, the perfect opportunity, I think that you could, you could wait forever or a very, very long time. So getting comfortable with the risk, with feeling like this could fail, um, or it could, could succeed. Um, you, at a certain point, you have to take a, a leap of faith. Absolutely. And I can say, um, I think you and I are probably opposites when it comes to that idea of, of naturally wanting to say yes, because I am somebody that just always stays where I am. And I um, I stayed way too long at a former opportunity. Um, and the company was failing, and it was somewhat obvious. And I just kind of buried my head in the sand. Mm-hmm. And when you know things really blow up, it's very unpleasant to still be there. Yeah. Um, so, you know, waiting for that perfect moment, waiting for a, a lightning bolt to come from the sky and say, Elizabeth, it is time to move on. That's not necessarily going to happen. And so yeah. um, finding maybe not the perfect moment, but uh, a great opportunity and identifying, yeah. um, you know, when when is it an appropriate amount of risk to take to move on? Yeah, because I, I think you're right. We are opposites. And I've definitely said yes to things I shouldn't have and regretted it. So, you know, you can do that too. Um, so I think there is, there's got to be a middle ground between us where you can recognize a good or great opportunity and seize that. Definitely. So when you've 
pursued a new um, project. I know you have a number of different initiatives that you guys have taken on in addition to HeadGum. What are some of the steps that you found um, to help generate uh, a successful opportunity, to help generate, you know, creating a successful team and really getting an initiative up and running um, successfully as opposed to um, some of the challenges that you've had? For us, I think it's just always been it's been about finding the right people. And we've been lucky that we started, um, you know, at College Humor with the company um, Vimeo, who was like sharing the space with us. So Mm -hmm. just like coming out of like, uh, you know, New York City and like from 2008 to 2015, it felt like we met all of the right people in tech and in our industry, like tech and media. Um, So as we've built HeadGum, we just been able to tap into relationships because I think Amir and I recognized early on that we can't and should not do everything. Mm-hmm. Um, we used to run sales for our own podcast. We were cold emailing like Nature Box and Frank and Oak, <laughs> and um, at a certain point, you know, you know, like we're not good at negotiating. Uh, ads for for ourselves we don't know anything about cpms what we know is uh like dumb fart jokes and that's (laughs) that's our job our job is to tell jokes that bring an audience in so being able to cede control and and saying you know what this person is going to handle our ad sales we found the right person and we're not going to question their um their methods and as long as it's working then we're happy um, so, th- so I think it's choosing the right people, giving your trust to those people and understanding where your strengths are and leaning in to that, because that's, that's like how you, um, help the team. Definitely. And, and I heard a couple of things there as well. It sounds like one thing that you've really focused on is building relationships over time and maintaining them so that when you have a new opportunity that comes up, um, you can think back through that mental list of people that you might have met all the way back in the day at College Humor and figure out if there's somebody who might be a good fit for a project that you're working on. Absolutely. I think that's something that we learned um, also is just that like show business is a very, very small industry, mm-hmm. um, but you can extrapolate that to just, you know, the world is small and people mm-hmm. that you are rude to will someday uh, be in a position where they could hurt you too, or where you want something from them. And I think it's just, it just helps to be as nice as you can to everybody because there's an ebb and a flow and a give and a take and people that I hired as interns at College Humor eventually like grew up to uh, be in like buying positions at networks. So mm-hmm. uh, their life is long. People's careers take crazy turns and you should just be nice to everybody. Um, probably just because it's, it's good karma, but also it's good business. <laughs> Definitely. And it's, it's a really interesting thing. I'm glad that you mentioned that because for most people, I think if you really start to think about it, your industry or your corner of the industry is probably smaller than you think it is. And um, so often we look at you know the entire universe of business or of whatever whatever space that you're thinking of. But if you really start to think about, okay, who are actually my direct competitors? There's probably not all that many. You know, mm-hmm. who are my who's my customer base? Again, it's likely narrower than you might think it is, and so that creates a lot of good opportunity. But like you said, there's also a risk if you if you aren't treating people well, if you aren't um, you know providing good value. Uh, that that can spread really quickly. 
Yeah, definitely. Your word travels fast, especially when you're a jerk. Definitely. Uh, We all like to tell those stories, that's for sure. Um, And then uh, I I love that example that you gave of recognizing a very specific function within your organization that you could try to do, but you weren't going to be very good at. Um, What have you found are some of the challenges of passing off uh, a responsibility like selling ad space? Um, Where have you found that challenging? And what are some of the lessons that you've learned when you've hired somebody to complete a function that you were doing before, even though maybe you weren't doing it as well as you wanted to? (laughs) We, you know, thankfully, we've been really lucky that um, we're, we tend to keep people around. Um, you know, we hire interns, we grow to love them. They choose a lane that they really feel passionate about in our company and, um, and people stick around and, and that it fosters trust. I think Mm -hmm. where the, where the challenge always is, is like seeding control of something and having it not go well. Mm -hmm. And you have to check in and catch up, um, feeling like things have, have have gone awry when it's not on your watch is really mm-hmm. hard because you have to come in scrambling to fix everything and um, rebuild it. We haven't had a ton of experience having to do that, um, but it's it is it's happened, and I think that's probably one of the the bigger challenges of like uh, being the founder of a company where the idea is that eventually you can check out of mm-hmm. some aspect and think that it's on autopilot, but to find out that it's not, that's disconcerting. Certainly. And um, that's something I hear a lot from founders and figuring out how much information can and should you get so that you're not parachuting in with nothing um, Mm -hmm. without overwhelming yourself with the minutiae and becoming a bottleneck. And finding that right balance can be especially challenging. Although, as you said, if you have people that you really trust and that you've worked with for a long time, that can really help um, at least reduce some of that stress. Yeah. And I think that something that helps with that too, is just like being communicative with the whole team. We have plenty of meetings where we get FaceTime with everybody and anyone that um, Amir and I manage, we try to have check-ins and and make sure that they're happy and satisfied uh, with their job. And I think that like having employee satisfaction is a good indicator that things are going well from like the top down. Definitely. Um, have you guys always been a remote company or has it been a change? Um, that's been a change. I mm-hmm. We opened our office together in Los Angeles in 2015. Um, and then I moved, I moved to New York in 2018. And I actually used to fly back and forth across the country uh, to record podcasts. So <laughs> we were anything but remote, even when I maybe should have been. Um, and this past year we've been entirely remote. We left the office on, I think, March 15th of 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and everyone's really, uh, excelled and done really well remote. I think we've hired like six or seven people mm-hmm. who I've never met in person only on zoom. Um, but we are, we're excited to, to get back into the studio again and, uh, actually see each other in person. I think that'll be nice, but I'm not, uh, I'm not going to go back to crisscrossing the country uh, to record (laughs) podcasts. So that's nice. Yeah. The rainforest will thank you. I'm sure. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Although man, I, I am, I would say I miss business travel. I know a lot of people don't, but um, a certain amount of it 
can be yeah. can be nice, can be fun. I um, think that's that's exactly what I'm looking forward to. Just like the right amount, the business uh-huh. travel out of personal preference rather than perceived necessity. Yes, definitely. Um, what were some of the challenges that you faced when you first um, went remote? I mean, I'm sure that there were obviously the technical challenges of you know recording not in a studio, but um, what were some of the kind of people challenges and um, management, hiring, communication? Um, did you did you learn any key lessons over the last year that um, that you're going to continue? Um, moving forward, even when you can get back together? Um, yeah, I think, I mean, one, probably the biggest, um, I think, well, so the biggest challenge I think is everybody being separated. Uh, no one really has a sense of what everyone is working on. Mm-hmm. I think we took a survey early on in the pandemic. Um, and one of the questions was, do you feel more productive or less? And are your coworkers more productive or less? And everyone said they felt more productive, um, but their coworkers were less productive. <laughs> so I think that signaled like an issue that that people think that they're working harder than everybody else. And that's just going to sow discord. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think one of the bigger challenges was just fostering goodwill and believing the best in your coworkers, which we did by... Um, you know, doing those stupid Zoom hangs and company cocktail <laughs> hours, uh, which seem lame when you get the invite. But once you're there, once you're having fun, uh, I think they're nice. And that was the best we could do, uh, given the circumstances. So I think that we we overcame that obstacle. And I think going forward, it's it's going to be it's going to be helpful to be working in person so you can see each other, get positive feedback, feel kind of like the hum mm-hmm. and the buzz of the office. Um, but then the other thing was we had a New York and an LA office um, and they were very independent of each other. We really, mm-hmm. we never saw anyone in the LA office. And then during the pandemic, we were having weekly, you know, multiple times a week I would have it, I'd be having uh, face-to-face meetings remote uh, over Zoom with mm-hmm. my uh, California counterparts. So, so I think that going forward, we'll probably hang on to that because it it's helpful to have FaceTime uh, with people you're not working with every single day. It's 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 better than being out of sight, out of mind. Definitely, I think that's one big silver lining that a lot of organizations have discovered over the course of this is we've had those regional silos. And because everybody had to get used to Zoom and um, uh-huh. and video conferencing, uh, the, the holdouts are a lot more comfortable with it. Um, but I love that you recognized, um, and, and the fact that you did that in a survey is really helpful, that people were not aware of other people's work because that, I've seen often happens just as organizations grow. It's a natural element of, um, you know, I don't understand what your department does. So my job yeah. is really hard, but your entire department is kind of useless. Or, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I see that I'm working really hard and I know the people who are doing the same things and similar things as I am are working hard, or I used to do something and I, and I recognize it, but there's an entirely different function that we've added that I don't really get. Um, and so uh, certainly, it might have been exacerbated by the pandemic, mm-hmm. but I, I'd imagine that that problem is something that's going to continue. So having some um, some ideas for uh, making up for that 
misunderstanding can be a really helpful thing because um, you see it in in so many different organizations. Uh, everybody is the hero of their own story, and yeah. other people are just kind of doing something. I think and, maybe, well, and that's that's part of the slippery slope because when you're the hero of your own story, every good story has a hero and a villain. Mm-hmm. So so people start to be villains in your story, but the, it life is not a TV show or a movie, and. Yep we're all, we're all trying to be heroes. I think that like, if you, if you look at any, anybody who you feel like is out to get you, there's a very, very high likelihood that they're doing the best they can for Mm -hmm. themselves. And it has nothing to do with you and, and their, their work does not come at your expense. So it's always just good to have perspective, um, and to assume that people are not, um, your, your enemy. Absolutely. I think that's a reminder that we can all have, you know, it's a, it's a, it's actually a philosophical. Um, it's, we all can understand our own motivations. And so even if we do bad things, we know why we did them and we can excuse yeah. them, but we're evaluating everyone else just on their actions and we don't understand their motivations. And it's a real mismatch and mm-hmm. you're doing yourself and other people a disservice if you're if you're really jumping um, to conclusions on that. And that's, again, um, something that probably became more apparent for a lot of organizations over the last year. But I've seen it mm-hmm. uh, before, and I'm sure we'll continue to see it after. So um, having that team building, um, having, you know, like you said, sharing praise and giving people mm-hmm. credit for things in front of others yeah. can be so powerful because they're saying, oh, you know, I didn't know that that team was working so hard, but clearly they are because they produce this great result that I wouldn't have even known about because it's not relevant to me and my role. Totally. Um, I think giving credit has been really important this last year, especially because you, with with like a computer screen instead of a human face, you you feel like you're giving and you're giving and you're giving and you don't get a lot back. Um so it's it's important to kind of try to give people extra extra validation, I think. Mm-hmm. And it's something that um, when I talk to uh, management experts and people that have studied management over the years, um, what what they're discovering is these what were historically considered soft skills. Like, you know, giving people credit and um, even things like employee surveys where you're asking about things like this. Um, In the past, that wasn't really considered all that important. But over time, we're discovering just how impactful it is in having a really successful organization. And it isn't just about people being happier at work, but they also do better work and Mm -hmm. you get um, better productivity. If people have that sense, you know, we're all um, pulling in the same direction and we're all working equally hard on it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's very important. And it kind of ties back to what we were talking about earlier in terms of passion, because that's one way that you're connecting everybody to, um, to the passion that you have. And if you can help them articulate, um, potentially, if they don't have it on their own, how they contribute to the overall mission mm-hmm. of the team, um, that's a great way to get them involved and to kind of break down some of those barriers. Yeah, absolutely. If you feel like you can't get somebody to give you passion, you can at least share your passion about their work. I think that like having that really that really positive feedback, that like being being uh, you know freely giving out your your accolades and saying good job, I think that um, I think it motivates people. 
Definitely. Because I could imagine you hiring somebody, I'll just keep going back to this example, um, but to do things like ad sales, and they might feel like, you know, I'm just selling ads. And um, that that could feel like a small job, it could feel um, pointless, or it could feel kind of demoralizing. But if you can help that person understand, hey, by doing this, you're helping us be able to afford to produce more shows and Mm -hmm. be able to, um, you know, branch out into new markets and to do new and different things. And you're the key economic engine behind all of it. uh, That's a really different perspective on what can seem like um, uh, a demoralizing or boring sort of a job. Totally. And like doing it like, killing your part of the job, your piece of the puzzle, like somebody sells what they think is a boring ad, but Amir and I crush the ad read and they, and we get a renewal and they book for um, three months of our show. Then, then I think that everybody feels like they contributed because we got that advertiser to test on the show. The host did a killer ad read. Um, Our campaign team uh, facilitated the communication between that advertiser and our sales team. Like it's everybody, everybody working together. And when in success, it's a lot, it's a lot easier to feel engaged and passionate. Um, And maybe the the harder part is in failures, staying, staying a team. Um, But I think that's where, that's where like the, the praise and the pep talks come back and saying like, we tried our best. Good job. Um, Definitely. Definitely. And to be able to still give people credit in those failures is is the most important thing. You know, you did a great job closing it. We weren't able to get the result that we wanted out of it, but that happens. And mm-hmm. keep keep doing what you've been doing. Yeah. Being a founder for me has been has often meant taking taking the blame, taking mm-hmm. the fall. And most of the time it it is on me. I deserve it. Well, and even if not, it's a it's a good perspective to have. Yeah, it's a good default position. Definitely. Now, I know you've been working on some new initiatives, um, and I'd love it if you could tell our listeners about them. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, God, there, it feels like there's there is so many sometimes. But um, <laughs> for for Headgum, we just launched uh, an advertising tool, kind of like an ad sales marketplace, where independent podcasts can list their shows available inventory. Um, and advertisers who are buying shows on HeadGum can actually tap into other types of shows, not just comedy, um, you know, shows that wouldn't necessarily fit on the HeadGum roster. And that was always, um, that was our intent uh, as a way to scale the host read podcast ad. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were able to beta test this um, this program, this website um, on all of the headgum shows. So we we kind of fine tuned it and and are just now starting to release it to the podcast space at large. Nice. I would imagine that a lot of people who have podcasts like um, like you did, who've maybe been trying to do the ad sales on their own, like you were, are discovering mm-hmm. that it's not necessarily their skill set. And so to be able to partner um, and and build on the network of of partners that you've yeah. developed would be a good opportunity. Yeah. Because, I mean, we, Amir and I launched, we started HeadGum as a response to being on a network that we felt like was not um, artist-friendly, was not was not a good home for us. So, mm-hmm. so our mission statement for HeadGum from the beginning has just been an artist-friendly podcast network. Um, and then as an extension of that, we're like, what could be even more friendly to artists? Oh, it's taking less of a cut and just helping them list their shows and, and make ads. And just we're we're not intruding in anyone's process at all. 
Definitely. Um, and and could you remind me what that marketplace is called? In oh, case sure. <laughs> yeah, I should get better at talking about it. Um, <laughs> it's called Gumball. Uh, Gumball.fm is the website. All right. I know that we have quite a few listeners who have podcasts of their own. And it's something that as I talk to our clients and I talk to business leaders, the number that are thinking of starting podcasts is um, is probably higher than than the world can even absorb. So um, <laughs> certainly anything that can make the process easier for people if they're interested in having ads as a part of their podcast. Um, that's, a, that's a great resource. Yeah, definitely. Um, do you have any other uh, new initiatives or, or recent things that you've been working on that you want to share with our listeners? Um, well, Amir and I just launched a dating app, if you can believe it. <laughs> oh, why don't you tell us about it? That's a That's a funny one. Yeah, uh, we've been, well, we've been working on it for, I think we started thinking about this when we started our podcast. So back in 2013, when both of us were single, we were, mm-hmm. our podcast is an advice show and we're always, um, we're always fielding questions about people who don't know what to say to someone mm-hmm. on Tinder or um, are getting ghosted by somebody on Hinge. And we we're just like, you know, we are just saying these dating apps over and over again. We're telling people to use them. Like we should just make our own. Um, and like everything, we just sort of talked about it for a long time. And eventually we're approached by two developers who, um, or two designers who said that they would help us design it. Uh, and then we tapped a developer to help us develop it. Um, but we went through two developers. I think the whole entire process probably took us almost four, like four or five years. Um, so I think that's because it was one of those things that Amir and I, we were relevant up top in the creating the idea and coming up with um, all of like the prompts that we used, um, but the actual coding and the designing, we were very irrelevant. Um, mm-hmm. So so we tapped out and uh, Amir moved in with his girlfriend. I got married. Um, and now, now uh, <laughs> we're promoting our dating app as two uh, non-single guys, but we're, it's been fun. We're having a great time. Hey, you can say you used all of these best practices and the lessons that you learned got you married and got him a serious girlfriend. So that's clearly right. they yeah. work. <laughs> and if you're looking to do the same, you can check out Orion. Uh, if you look up Orion Dating in the Android or Apple store, you can find the app. Excellent pitch there. Good job. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Well, um, I think that's a. I love that you have both of those examples because I think they they tie to some of what you were talking about earlier in terms of when you've got these new opportunities. Sometimes it's uh, it's a real passion that you have. It ties to your overall mission, and it's something that you're pretty heavily involved in. Like it sounds like Gumball was, mm-hmm. and then sometimes it's more. Um, other people might take the lead on a lot of it, and you're just kind of coming in to add your own special. Um, special perspective and yeah, totally um, right team. And you can be like in a supportive role um, rather than at the helm. I think that's, there's a lot of value in that. Definitely. All right. Well, we're always trying to provide our listeners with additional resources um, that they can learn from. So it could be based on what we've been discussing or just in general, do you have any resources? Um, It could be books, podcasts, um, anything else that you might recommend for our listeners? Man, I, I feel like the, the last year has really destroyed my brain in terms of mm. um, like resources. Usually at the end of the day, I, I'm done with work and I the last thing, I would just want to unwind. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just going to share something that's helped me a lot this last year. And it's just going on long bike rides. Mm. I think that 
having your hands occupied by holding a handlebar and your eyes on the road rather than a screen is is very very helpful um after a few minutes you just sort of disconnect and you have like a free flowing uh thought process that i think is really helpful i come up with so many solutions to problems that like in the last 15 minutes of a bike ride and i can't wait to get home write things down and start working on them tomorrow Absolutely. That's great advice. Um, I'll say I, I do the same thing. And I have a habit of having headphones on and listening to something or reading something just about every other moment of the day. Even, you know, you're standing online for 10 minutes waiting to check out at the grocery store and you're trying <laughs> to learn and absorb something. Um, but it is illegal in New York and I think pretty unsafe to wear headphones while uh, on a bike because you might, you know, get hit by a car, which I've done. Um, So uh, not, um, you know, to have that time when you're just really letting yourself be quiet and, Mm -hmm. and process, it's so rare now and it's so hard to get that time. So to, to do it on a bike can be a really, really great way to just, um, let yourself breathe. Excellent advice, especially this time of year. It's a, it's a good time. It's beautiful. It's beautiful out there. Definitely. All right, Jake, I've really enjoyed our conversation today. Um, If you want listeners to learn more about you and your work, where should they go? Um, They can check out, um, man, I have like, I think I have at least three shows uh, (laughs) on the HeadGum Network. So you can just go to headgum.com and click on any podcast that seems to pique your interest. Does not have to be my show. Yep. You've got quite a lot of interesting ones there. Well, I really appreciate you being here, kind of taking this this uh, uh, slightly left turn to join us today. Um, I know I got a lot from it and I hope, um, hope you enjoyed it as well. I hope so too. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, Jake. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning into today's show. You can find the notes and resources for everything Jake and I have been talking about today at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod 306. Make sure to tune into the podcast next week for another great guest. If you enjoyed the show today, please recommend us to a friend. That's the best way to help other people discover the show. And you can subscribe for free wherever it is that you're listening right now. We love to hear feedback. You can leave us ratings and reviews in Apple Podcasts or email us with direct feedback, questions, and guest suggestions at podcast at criteriaforsuccess.com. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at CFS Playbook. And don't forget to check out the blog at criteriaforsuccess.com slash insights. Let's Talk Sales is a production of Criteria for Success. Happy selling!